Welcome back to The Wrong Opinion, useless NBA trivia and garbage rankings. If this is your first time checking this out, thanks for listening. Uh, but check out the trailer first, the season one trailer. We're going to hop right into the Utah Jazz. The Jazz, kind of a midlife franchise, started in 1974, five years in New Orleans, which makes sense because they're the Jazz. Then they moved to Utah, which made way less sense in 1979. Uh, they had Pete Maravich for those New Orleans years. He's one of three players now to have their jersey retired by a, play, by a team he didn't play for. It's retired by the New Orleans Pelicans, totally different franchise. And he put up some killer years, but they never won anything. Didn't make the playoffs anytime in New Orleans. It took until 1983 when they had Dantley, Adrian Dantley. Danley bounced around a lot. Ward was welcome with three teams by the time he came to uh, to Utah. We'll obviously get more into him later, but he did bring him some mild success. Now, remember, in this time, it was way easier for teams to get in the playoffs. By 1984, that was the first year with eight playoff teams, but there was only 23 teams in the league. So right now, a little more than half the teams make the playoffs. Back then, it was like two-thirds. So just keep that in mind anytime somebody's talking about a player not missing playoffs back in the 80s, it was really easy back then. Kind of near the end of Danley's best years when Stockton and Malone came along, and they were just the epitome of a really good team for over a decade. Stockton and Malone, I mean, the comparison people make when talking about a point guard and power forward, big man in sync. They made the playoffs every year from 1983 until 2003 when Stockton retired and Malone left. Now, another mistake people often make is looking at those Jazz teams and thinking they peaked in the late 90s, thinking that, that was when they were their best. I mean, they made two finals, they made Carl uh, Malone won two MVPs, one of them a little dubious, but they weren't better than they were in 1991. The league was just worse. There was less competition. Talk about this all the time, but somewhere between 93 and 95, the league got really, really weak. But this was still a really good team that can't be discounted. They made the conference finals in 92, that was the first ever conference finals, in 96, and then lost two straight finals after that. Now that is a little, if you look at the Jazz franchise, they didn't make the playoffs their first nine years, and then went on to make it for the next 20. That's just absurd, honestly, and it's because they struck oil with two great players. They got Jerry Sloan, one of the all-time great coaches, but just like with the Jazz in general, they were never great. They are never the best team in the league. Uh, the mid-2000s had a couple fun teams. Kieran Lanko, love AK-47 here. Great defensive player. Memo Okur, way ahead of his time. Uh, but then Carlos Boozer and Darren Williams. They were meant to be the next Stockton and Malone, as people say. Uh, made the 07 Conference Finals and then the playoffs all the way through 2010. Uh, Darren Williams won it out. The Jazz were having no discussions, no negotiations. They sent him out. They weren't going to fiddle around with the player. Uh, they got a lot back, but with a nice core of Paul Millsap, Al Jefferson, Gordon Hayward, didn't really do much. Gordon Hayward had a breakout season in 2017, left the next year. But with that foundation of Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, who was drafted right after Hayward left, they were one of the most steady teams of the last five, six years. Once again, never great, just always really, really good. Their all-time winning percentage is 54.3%. That's good for fourth most all-time. Now this year, 37 wins, nobody saw that coming. Marking and breakout star of the year. But it looks like it's going to be more of the same, more of really good, never great. 
and they have never been great. 31 playoff appearances in 49 seasons. That's incredible. Incredible consistency. Which, when we talk about Stockton and Malone individually, it comes up as well, that consistency. But let's get to the rankings. First off, for point guard, John Stockton. is an obvious one, current all-time leader in assists and steals. The entire NBA, let alone the Jazz, played 19 years with Utah. Now, he wasn't a full-fledged starter until his fourth year, all-star in his fifth year. Uh, but after that, I mean, he was just a walking 17 and 13 a game. Just unparalleled in NBA history, really. If you look at his games missed throughout his career, it's staggering. He didn't miss a game until 1990, four games missed, and then didn't miss another game until 1998 when he missed 18 games, and then that's it. So only two seasons missing a single game. His percentages are awesome, 50, 38, 82 for his career, but that consistency day in and day out, if you watch any of their like all-time great games, he looks the same every single game. And he was really the one guy on those teams that rose to the occasion. We'll break down Carl Malone's aversion to that in a couple minutes here. Uh, but he, he was their killer in late-game situations. But back to the fact that those 97-98 Jazz were not the best Jazz teams. That was Stockton's first year in a decade not leading the league in assists. Uh, the next year dropped down to 8.5 assists per game, playing less than 30 minutes. Then making the finals, just a product of their environment. Don't want to take away from his greatness, though, because he was a very, very good player among the top 10 point guards all time. First team shooting guard. Ooh, this one was tough for me, but I'm going with Pete Maravich. He played six seasons there, uh, just as long as the guy on our second team, although he played half a season this last year. Uh, didn't make the playoffs at all. That's not helpful for his career. But with the Jazz, he averaged 25 points per game, led the league in 1977 with 31 points per game. All NBA four times, twice first team. I think one of those was with the Hawks early on. But in that 77 season, third in MVP voting. And the little guys did not get a lot of MVP votes back then. From 1965 until, 19, uh, until 1980, zero players outside the center position won MVP. Now you can talk about his bad defense. He was a weird guy, maybe not the awesomest teammate. A uh, bit of ball hog, but when you have a team that bad, you kind of have to be. But the dude could score. If he played now, YouTube, Twitter, would be riddled with his highlights. First team, small forward, Adrian Dantley. Another big stats, no defense, not a lot of playoff success. Dantley came to the came to the Jazz in 79 after a year with LA, about a year and a half with LA. That's right, right before they won the title. So that sucks. There's a lot of what-ifs with Magic Johnson's career with different wing guys you could have played with. And some might say like a guy like Dantley, yeah, that'd be cool in the half court but that is not tantamount to success. Uh, he did have four straight seasons, averaging 30 points per game. One was only with uh, 22 games played, so doesn't count. Uh, two of those times were leading the league. 24 points per game for his career, 29.6 during his seven Utah seasons. He did bring him to the first playoffs, uh, eventually traded to Detroit for Kelly Trapuca. Wasn't good enough to lead him to the finals. We'll get more to that in the, uh, in the Pistons section though. But Danley is the kind of player we are never gonna see again. He was a six foot, listed as six five, probably shorter than that, post player who got to the rim at will. He had some of the best post movies you've ever seen, but you don't think about him as an all time post guy because he was a small forward and an undersized small forward. Uh, but big, fat behind, strong body. Averaged uh, 10 free throw attempts per game four times, 12 attempts a game, and 84. 11th all time in free throws made. And that's with fewer than a thousand games played. So that's impressive. 
He's third all-time in points for the Jazz, first all-time in points per game. Doesn't rank high in much else. First team power forward, mailman Carl Malone. Now he's got some off-the-court stuff that's not pretty. We're not going to talk about that. But he played 18 seasons with the Jazz before failing in L.A. And just like Stockton, didn't miss games. Missed one game in 86, two in 89, one in 92, one in 98, one in 99, one in 2000, two in 2002, one in 2003. Just did not miss game. 1,439 games played over 18 seasons with the Jazz. He is their all-time leader in points by a wide margin, all-time leader in rebounds by a wide margin. Among all NBA players, he ranks he ranks third in total points and seventh in total rebounds. A great role guy, had a mid-range shot, good passer for a big man, not like a creator or anything, but average three and a half assists per game. Could hit the open guy, strong defender, bruiser, high percentages, hit a lot of free throws, still the all-time leader in free throw attempts and makes. But when you talk about Carl Malone, you got to bring up the playoffs. Uh, stats dip a little bit across the board, but it's kind of like James Harden, where if you look at the playoff games, it's like, yeah, that was a good game. That means he's not a bad playoff player, right? But it's not just the single games. Everybody has good playoff games. The best players are going to have good playoff games. But in the biggest moments, he shied away. He took fadeaways. He had bad turnovers. I mean, his most famous moment is Jordan's last shot with the Bulls when he was stripped and let Jordan have the possession, have the last possession of the game to hit the game winner and clinch the finals. Right? He took the torch from Wilt Chamberlain, Elvin Hayes, Patrick Ewing, pass it along to guys like Kevin Garnett, of uh, the big man who you would love to have on your team unless there's a couple minutes left in the game. Turns his back to the basket, tries to get it to Stockton, and settles for fadeaway ugly jumpers. But by a wide margin, their best franchise player. Best center, first team center. Uh, this is a bit of a tough one, but I'm going Rudy Gobert. Now he has half as many blocks as the number uh, one block guy who comes up later in this, in this pod. He's second all time in rebounds for the Jazz. 10th in points, despite not scoring a lot. 65% from the field. Man, we live in a weird league right now. He played nine seasons with Utah, late draft pick. Really took until 2017 to kind of blossom. When he did, he did. He, he's the best defensive player, I'd say, of his era. At least best defensive center. Now, you can beat him with smaller guards, but he would protect the rim. He can bruise anybody. You're not getting an easy bucket over him. He won three Defensive Player of the Year awards in four years. Now, some of his All-NBAs are kind of dubious, but he's got a second team of three third teams. It's hard to argue against it. But once again, when you're talking about him, you got to talk about the playoff performances. Every single defensive metric for him goes down dramatically in the playoffs. There's just a style of game that people play in the playoffs that they do not play in the regular season, and he is not suited for the more physical, more aggressive style of play in the playoffs. He ended up earning one of the hugest trade hauls in NBA history and one of the most egregious. I was excited for it because I like seeing when two centers are paired together. It reminds me of my childhood basketball, but that's just not how it's played anymore. And this might be the wrong opinion. There's probably a guy you could argue is ahead of him, but I think those stats are a little bit inflated. Uh, Gobert, number one center for the Jazz. Took him to the playoffs pretty much every year he was there, at least every year that he was uh, part of it from 2017 to 2022 but never made it past the second round. So that's your first team. John Stockton, Pete Maravich, Adrian Dantley, Carl Malone, and Rudy Gobert. Second team. Uh, for point guard, we are going Darren Williams. Egregiously taken over Chris Ball, which might have cost him a title. 
Uh, but in the second season, took him to the conference finals. He played pretty well, too. Beat the We Believe Warriors, who everybody loved, uh, averaging 19 and 9. Once again, second year in the league. He was a 20 and 10 guy once, hovered around there four straight years. He only played with them for about five and a half years, but you know, beautiful percentages, a lot of assists, good defensive player, aggressive, he could pound you, but he also hit a shot. Now it's crazy seeing how his career unfolded because going to the Nets, I was supposed to be a super team and they made a lot of dumb decisions banking on guys that were too old. But the fact that Darren Williams fell apart physically, that's not really on them. By 27, he was past his prime. By 30, he was washed, and he was out of the league by 32. But as far as the Jazz go, he is fourth all-time in assists, second most among point guards. He's 10th in threes, and that's about it. Only played about 440 games with them. Uh, did make a couple All-NBAs, that's nice. Just a very good player, the type of player who uh, would really excel in today's game. He was kind of a combo guard who played like a point guard, which is really what you need to thrive, I think, today. But really, his style kind of transcends eras. He was very, very good. There was so much conversation about him or Chris Paul as the best point guard in the league, and it was insane. But the arguments kind of came, became anti-Darren Williams, which just isn't fair. He's a very good player. He just was not Chris Paul. Uh, second team shooting guard, Donovan Mitchell. You could probably argue him above Maravich. They played the same amount of time. He made more playoffs. Uh, but I think if you if you switch Maravich and Mitchell in their careers, I kind of think that uh, the Jazz are better off in the more recent era. But he is dominant in the playoffs. Remember that 2020 bubble season? Uh, only played one series, went to seven. 36 points per game, but they played uh, uh, the Nuggets, who had a playoff phenom of their own. 32 points per game the next playoffs. Uh, he has never missed the playoffs in his career. He's only made it past the second round two times. You don't love to see that. When he came out, I kind of thought he was a poor man's Dwayne Wade. Uh, he was in a he won the dunk contest his rookie season, but he just settles too much for ugly threes. He's like a good three point shooter, 36%, uh, but not good enough to be taking 10 a game. He should be driving, dishing, averaging, averaging 25 and seven on 50% shooting. That's what I'd like to see from, from him. Uh, instead, it's more like 25, four and a half on 45% shooting with a couple too many turnovers and way too many missed threes. Uh, but dominant offensively. He never made an All-NBA team with the Jazz. Uh, immediately when he went to the Cavaliers, he did. I uh, don't know what that means. 20th all-time in points per game. As far as the Jazz go, he is 8th in total points and 2nd in threes. 4th in points per game right behind Pistol Pete Maravich. By the way, 8th all-time in career playoff points per game among all players, not just the Jazz. Second team, small forward, going AK-47, Andre Kirilenko. He was kind of an in-between uh, from the Malone Jazz to the uh, the Boozer Williams Jazz. Played with both guys. Uh, made the conference finals in 07 as probably their third best player. Just a destructive force defensively. He was a small forward who played a little bit bigger. He's six foot nine and skinny. Averaged 1.8 blocks per game for his career. Peaked in 2004. Five with 3.3 blocks per game. Average three blocks a game twice. 04 is his best season. Uh, 16 and a half points, eight rebounds, 2.8 blocks. And he was guarding Trace McGrady in crunch time in the All-Star game, which, yeah, means probably nothing. Sats are pretty consistent across the board from uh, regular season to playoffs. He's all defensive team three times, never made an All-NBA team. Uh, about 30th in blocks per game as a small forward. Just among Jazz players, 
He's ninth in rebounds. He's sixth in points. And in blocks, he is number two with 1380, right between Rudy Gobert and another center we're going to get to later. You can probably guess who that is. Second team, power forward, Carlos Bozer. Now, you do not see this type of player in today's game anymore. Can't defend the rim, can't hit threes. A good pick and pop threat, could roll a little bit. But in his two best seasons with the Jazz, he was 21 and 11, two All Star games. His first playoff appearance ever was that 07 season where they went to the conference finals. He averaged 24 points per game, 12 rebounds. He just ripped apart the small, we believe, Warriors. Uh, it was it was incredible. But of course, against uh, Tim Duncan in the, in the conference finals, it didn't really hold up. He was All NBA third team in 06, and among Jazz players, he doesn't really rank very high in most things outside of the top 10 in points and rebounds. And he only played 354 games with them, had a couple seasons with big injuries. Uh, but for those two years, he was one of the best power forwards in the league. Just a byproduct of a totally different era. Second team center, going Mark Eaton. Uh, you could totally argue him for first place. Uh, the, the block numbers are insane. Led the league four times in blocks. He averaged 3.5 for his career. For his career, 875 games, averaging 3.5 swats per game. Uh, that's highest all-time. His 5.6 and 85, that's the most all-time for a single season. Didn't do much else outside of that. Averaged 10 rebounds a game twice, never double-digit points, 45% from the field. Not a great free-throw shooter, but dude, could he swat. That's a little inflated in the way that uh, like uh, Hassan Whitesides are. It's not that egregious. He wasn't this awesome defensive player, just an amazing swatter. He was all defensive team five times, three times, was first team. Played in an all-star game, that's nice. Uh, but also that back then they let a lot more go as far as defense goes, so you'll see a lot of inflated block stats from 1980 to 2000. Uh, but he has 3,064 blocks all time, all of them with the Jazz. That is more than twice the number two guy, twice AK-47. Uh, third all-time in rebounds for the Jazz. Not bad, but not much else than that. He is on the list of all-time awesome late draft picks. Uh, fourth round guy, 72nd overall in the 82 draft. So that's our second team, Darren Williams, Donovan Mitchell, Andre Kirilenko, Carlos Boozer, and Mark Eaton. Third team point guard going with Ricky Green. Uh, he's the guy that was there for most of Dantley's run and then a little bit over... Uh, over Malone's run, started over Stockton for a couple years there. Uh, not much of a scorer, double digits five times. He did lead the league in steals once in 84, His same uh, the same year he made his sole all-star game. Uh, 2.7 steals per game. Ain't bad. Kind of like with blocks, a little inflated back then. Decent passer, peaked at nine a game, 6.9 for his career with Utah. Played 600 games with him. Just a good, solid point guard. He'll take you to a couple playoffs, as he did. Um, but probably not a starter on the championship team. He is third all-time in assists, just behind Carl Malone for the Jazz. Uh, third in steals. Good, solid player. Not a lot of other options. I'll talk about some honorable mentions later. There's not really even any honorable mentions for uh, for point guards. I mean, you got like not a lot of options. It's kind of what happens when you have one guy starting for 19 straight years. Uh, third team shooting guard, running mate of Ricky Green for many years there, Daryl Griffith. He played his entire career with the Jazz, uh, 11 straight years. Uh, starter for the first several, averaged 20 points a game, four of his first five seasons, and that other one, it was 19.8. Led the league in three-point shooting in 84, shooting 36%. 
Yeah, 36% love the league. That's crazy. That's like what James Harden shoots. Uh, got a couple assists, decent percentages. Really bad free throw shooter. It's kind of weird. Uh, below 73 times. Uh, then he was hurt after Stockton's first season and came back to the bench. Kind of a bummer. Never really came back the same. But he ranks 8th in 3-point field goals made for the Jazz, despite playing in the 80s. You'd think he'd be passed pretty easily by now. 5th uh, in steals. 4th in points. One of only 4 guys to score over 10,000 with the Jazz. Carl Malone, over 30,000. Stockton, Dantley, and, and Daryl Griffith. 2nd overall pick in the 1980 draft. 13 small forward. Uh, this one's a little bit tough. I'm basically going with one peak year here. That's Gordon Hayward. Uh, seven seasons with the Jazz. A lot of a lot of good years. You know, 16, 5, and 5. Very good. Uh, and stepped up that final year at 26 years old. It's kind of the year a lot of players of that, like wing players, kind of come into their peak. Guards usually peak at like 23. Centers usually 28, 29. But wing players, forwards, more of a mid-20s kind of peak. 22 points per game, 4 assists, 5 rebounds, shooting 47%, hit a lot of threes, just in a lot of ways, like ideal 4th banana on a championship team, and that's what the Celtics saw in the next year in 2018, signed him to put him beside Al Horford and Kyrie Irving, and then he played 5 minutes, got hurt, and never played the same again. He's had a nice resurgence these last couple years as kind of a mid-rotation guy, but it was really looking up after that season. So devastating that he was lost. As far as the Jazz go, he's ninth all-time in their points, ninth in assists, fourth in uh, three-pointers, sixth in free throws. Very good player. Easily the third best small forward. There's one guy you can maybe kind of argue, but eh, it's, it's him. Uh, third team power forward. I think he's the most boring player in NBA history. Paul Millsap. And boring is kind of a compliment here because he just does everything and he does it all pretty well. You know, he's a pretty good scorer, pretty good rebounder, pretty good defender, pretty efficient, gets the free throw line pretty well. First career with the Jazz, that was seven seasons, just over 500 games, 12 points, 50% shooting. Very nice. Now, he was never the best player on a team that uh, went to the playoffs, at least with the Jazz. Uh, really transformed when he went to the Hawks, became a really, really special kind of player. I think it's just the league evolved more into that style of play. But I think he's the kind of player who can thrive in any era. I don't think there's any universe where he's a Hall of Famer, but pretty much every universe where he is a very good, yeah, solid player. Most of his All-NBA votes came when he was with the Hawks. His only All-Defensive team came with the Hawks, but uh, twice he got votes for the All-NBA teams. So, you know, kind of matters, maybe, probably not. And third-team center. Now, this was a tough one for me, but I went with Mehmet Akur. I think right now he would be an awesome, awesome player. A stretch big. Uh, Memo could hit threes at a really high clip. Shot 37% for his career. Shot like two and a half a game. Be shooting like, what, eight right now? Uh, he could rebound pretty well. Good defensive player. He was on that 07 playoff uh, conference finals team. Came the year before Darren Williams. Uh, so it was him, Williams, Kirilenko, and Boozer. That's a very, very nice team. Probably not going to win a title, but still something you don't want to see in the playoffs. He was an 07 All-Star. He also won a title with the Pistons in 04, by the way. But he's ninth all-time in three-pointers made for the Jazz. Ninth in free throws. Really good player who just came like 10 years too early. So that's the third team. Ricky Green, Daryl Griffith, Gordon Hayward, Paul Millsap, Mem Occur. The toughest cuts, uh, Jeff Hornacek. 
Uh, that's a tough position, but he was a nice, nice starter. You could argue him over Daryl Griffith. He had a little more uh, sustenance to his game than Griffith had, which was mostly stats. Ingles, awesome story, but he's ultimately a role player. He is their all-time leader in three-pointers made. Uh, Brian Russell, eh. Thurl Bailey, eh. Greg Ostertag, might have made it over at Kerr. Uh, he's a center for the 90s, but I think he was just more of a piece in that cog. I don't think, like, I think Okur would be better on those teams. Truck Robinson, very good year and a half, but only a year and a half. Uh, Gail Goodrich, kind of past his prime. Really, the Lakers should be thanking him more than anything. Uh, the Jazz made the stupid trade to pair Goodrich and uh, Maravich together. Two small, bad defenders who were like electric on offense, but Goodrich was past his prime. And then that pick later became Magic freaking Johnson. So that was kind of big. And then Al Jefferson, that's another, that's another tough cut, but only played a couple of years there. So yeah, they didn't really do anything. I don't think made the playoffs at all. Uh, if you hate my wrong opinions, tweet me at, tweet me at wrong opinion NBA. We will be back next week. Talking about a couple teams that have nowhere near the regular season success of the Jazz, who again, fourth all time in winning percentage, but they can say they have one thing the Jazz don't, a title. So who is the worst team in NBA history to have won a title? Tell you next week, peace out.